You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello and welcome to Nick Luck Daily, the show that brings you the latest news and the sharpest insight from around the world of horse racing. It is Thursday the 12th of August. Another busy show for you today. Broadcaster and journalist Lydia Hislop will be my guest. We'll be discussing plenty. We'll be joined by Natalie Voss, editor-in-chief at the Paulick Report out in the US to reflect on the quite shocking news that broke late yesterday UK time that trainer Jorge Navarro has admitted the allegations against him, the serial doping of his horses over a period of four years and others implicated in that. We'll be talking to trainer Rebecca Menzies about National Racehorse Week and the the massive uptake that she's had for the day where she is opening up her doors. That is a month away today. But first of all, we're going to turn our attention to the big race on Sunday, the Prix-Jacques Lemarois. Palace Pier is looking to win the race two years in succession, but goodness me, we've got a proper race in store this year. We'll be hearing from Jessica Harrington about Alpine Star and some other horses she's sending over to Deauville. We'll be hearing from trainer Jim Bolger as well. He's got both Max Swinney and Poetic Flair in there. Max Swinney is going to go to York. He'll he'll reflect on that and also tell us about Poetic Flair. But first things first, Lydia Hislop. Is this the toughest test of Palace Pier's career so far? I think so, probably, because Poetic Flair, at his very best, is quite brilliant. And we saw that in the St James's Palace Stakes. We didn't see it so much at Goodwood. I know connections are blaming the ground. I didn't think he particularly got on with the track either. Um, and I think a, a more conventional type race uh, will, will suit him much better. Um, a faster surface and a strong pace also, I think, helps him. Hopefully he might get that. And I think he does, at his very best, provide a severe test to Palace Pier, particularly as uh, Palace Pier's victory in the Queen Anne was more workmanlike than anything else. And obviously he hasn't had a completely straightforward preparation because he was meant to be clashing with poetic flair at Goodwood, but he had a blood disorder. Well, you mentioned Poetic Flair, the, the chief challenger as the market would have it. He's trained by Jim Bolger, and I spoke to him a little bit earlier on, starting by asking him about the horse's constitution. His, his grandsire knew approach took his racing very well, but unfortunately, on a couple of occasions, he had niggly, uh, you know, muscle tweets that kept him away from the track for a while, especially during the summer. I, I think he, he, missed the, he missed the Irish Derby after Epsom. And uh, but he he was quite busy. I think he he won four group ones. But uh, uh, this fellow is exceptionally hardy. Um, how do you reflect on on the Goodwood Run, Jim? Oh well, it was just the ground there, you know. Uh, obviously, the fitting was very good, but uh, it, it it definitely was a uh, a subpar run for him. But uh, it was very tacky at Goodwood. We'd have liked more rain at Goodwood, so it would have been looser. How tough a test in comparison to, to what he's had before do you think this will, will be? I mean, is this, for example, a, a tougher race than a St James's Palace, than a than a 2,000 guineas? Well, we'd be approaching it, uh, uh, you know, in the same way. 
the competition is there and uh, we're there as well and uh, while we have great respect for them all uh, we're, 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 we're going to be serious competitors what have you learnt about him in his um, in his six starts so far this season, Jim? Well, principally that he's so much better on, on the good ground. We were probably fooled a little bit at the Cora and Leopardstown. He ran in soft ground there, but it probably was just his class that, that enabled him to uh, put up such a good performance. But uh, he was a revelation at Royal Ascot. <laughs> And, and what sort of race does he want to to develop at um, at Deauville, do you think, over the mile? I don't think it matters too much as long as it's uh, an even pace, you know. Mm. Uh, these stop-start races don't suit any horse, except maybe the ones that are a bit uh, suspect stamina-wise. But like this fella has all the class in the world. He's very quick and... Uh, any sort of a reasonably run race will suit him. I take it he, in your eye, given what we've seen, he's he's still an out-and-out miler to you, right? It's, there's no danger of him going any further this year? Uh, well, there's always a danger with me, you know, but uh, <laughs> for the moment, anyway, it's going to be a mile. But uh, um, uh, I have to say that I was, I was very tempted by... Uh, uh, the July Cup, I'm not sure if that's the right um, designation of the race, but you know the one I mean anyway, the, the six ball long race. There. Yeah, at, at Newmarket. Yes, sorry, Newmarket, yeah, yeah. You were tempted to drop him drop him to six furlongs? I wouldn't be worried about it, no, no. I mean, that would have been absolutely... Fa- because he's on quick ground, he's got such a potent turn of foot. Is that yeah, it, Jim? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a very quick horse. Uh, can I just ask you, Max Swinney, is, is he still on course for, for a job Mont or has no decision been made? He is, yeah, 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 yeah. We will keep them in reserve if... if uh, if Poetic Clear hadn't been able to go to uh, Dolvin for any reason, uh, we would have gone with him. Now, Max Sweeney has proved himself on testing ground, but there, there doesn't seem to be a danger of that at, at York. Do you see coming back in trip as a big plus for Max Sweeney? Uh, well, coming back from a mile and a half, it does anyway. He didn't say in either derby, so uh, mm. uh, I'm hoping that the mile and a quarter would suit him fine. Were you surprised that he perhaps wasn't at his best over a mile and a half, or did you have a niggling doubt that he it might stretch him? No, I never had any doubt. I'm I'm, I'm amazed. Um, so look, you know, ten and a half furlongs on on quick ground at York that should be that should be ideal for him, should it? Uh, I hope so, but uh, if if not. Uh, I'm very happy to go back to a mile with him. I mean, he is a classic mile winner, so you know he, he he's 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 a top horse as a mile. So um, I I would I wouldn't be worried about going back to a mile with him. Jim in in good form as ever. The thing that first struck me about that was that he threw in that at one stage he considered running him in the six furlong July Cup. What did you make of that? 
It reminded me of Aidan O'Brien saying that he, Galileo could have run in, in the July Cup. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a very good way of conveying the, uh, the respect um, and great talent you have for a particular horse, how much speed he has without actually putting it to the test, isn't it? You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being overly cynical, but it does sort of add to his profile. I mean, I've, I've read also that uh, he compared uh, Poetic Flair's uh, St. James's Palace Stakes to uh, Frankel's um, and said that it was a better performance in that race than Frankel's was. Well, as that was Frankel's worst performance in a group race, given the way he, way he was ridden on the day and how the race panned out, um, that's no great shakes, really, in, in my view, uh, which is to take nothing away from Poetic Flair. Um, I've been a, a fan of this horse since I first saw him walking to the paddock in the 2000 Guineas. I thought he was absolutely brilliant in the St. James's Palace Stakes. Um, you know, we are a little bit more conservative in Europe about the distance range that horses might have, and it would have been very exciting had he run in the July Cup over six furlongs, obviously he was also considered for the international stakes of this race not come up, as Jim has just said in interviews, that's an extended 10 furlongs. And maybe the horse is good enough to be that versatile, but until you actually see it, um, it's just talk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's a, a good point about um, about uh, Jim having his stallion career in mind. Mm. Um, well, if, can I take you back to the, the 2000 guineas and, and ask you, and, and St James's Palace to an extent, what, what, what type of horse then he is in, in your mind that meant he shone on those occasions? I think he's a strong stayer at a mile. Um, and so I think he was, he's suited by uh, making it, uh, he's not suited by, as Jim has just said there, a, a stop-start pace. He wants it to be a good test at a mile because he's got a lot of pace and he sees a mile out really, really well. That's why I, I thought that he would be effective over 10 furlongs and I hope that Jim does try him over that trip at some point. Um, yeah, that, that, and that was the reason for me lead, that when I asked about a different trip, I was immediately thinking going up, which is hmm. why I was sort of caught on the back foot with him suggesting coming back because he did look a strong stare particularly I thought at Newmarket at the trip. Mm, oh yeah I, I, I totally agree and I think that's the impression that he left in the St James's Palace States as well so um, a strong strong pace uh, at the trip a strongly run race at the trip a sound surface um, and I think a more conventional track than Goodwood uh, that sees uh, poetic flair at his best. What do you make of the fact that he this will be his sixth tilt in group one company in quick succession uh, that the fact that we and we know that that Jim has done things like this before but what do you make of that? I think it's absolutely fantastic and I wish we saw more of it um, and I think that he is there's absolutely no sign that it's having any negative effects on his form yet I think there are other reasons why um, he was uh, defeated at Goodwood I remain a massive fan of the horse and I love the way he's been campaigned. Can we just park Alpine Star for a second? We'll hear from Jessica Harrington shortly. Is there any other runner in the race that, that perhaps is currently a little bit further down the betting that you think could be interesting, Lydia, that might well turn up? Well, Mother Earth is going to be interesting, isn't it? Because um, I would imagine a sounder surface than she um, encountered in the Rothschild last time over the course and distance is going to suit her better. You know, if you think about her better performances this season, they have been that runner-up in the Falmer Stakes, a race that has worked out well, and the win in the one person Guineas at Newmarket, less good when there's more cut in the ground. So although it's a sort of scramble home last time, I suspect she did well to win, and that these will see uh, uh, these will be better conditions uh, via which to judge her. However, everything we seem to have learned over the course of the season suggests that Poetic Flair is a much better horse than her. Um, Alpine Star, be interesting to hear what Jess has got to say. It looks a very competitive race. I was just looking, I see there's 12 left in it. 
including Palace Pear and Mother Earth, so they're all a bit scary. Um, so look, it's um, it's a very good renewal of the race. Um, she's in good form, and I hope she'll run a big race. Um, the, the the likely ground is is what she wants, is it? I uh, hopefully it'll be the slow side of good. Which which is what her last win came on at at, at Ascot last year. I mean, was yeah. it a bit too testing for her last year in at Deauville? It just might have been, yes. But I wouldn't mind it testing. No, I think she's a stronger filly this year. Well, with that in mind, conditions wise, were you? It was pretty quick at York for that reappearance. Was was that a concern yes. for you? Uh, yeah, it was. But we needed, we knew, we knew, we needed to get it up. And the great thing about York, it's dead level. You know, and so you're not going downhill or uphill. Uh, who rides at the the weekend, Jessica? Um, Shane Foley rides the weekend. Ah, fantastic! So he can. Uh, it was Stefan on board last year because of COVID regulations, but Shane's all good to go and ride. Yeah. Excellent news. Uh, is yeah. it a, a bit of a a bit of a Doville raid for you this weekend? Is she one of three heading over? Yes, she is. I've got another couple. Like one on Saturday, Lachlan, who's going back, trying to step up from a listed race to a Group Three. And also stepping up again in distance to a mile. And the other is? Citronade, who's won a maiden. Uh, well, she won two maidens, actually. She got disqualified from the first one. She won a maiden and won a handicap. And she's stepping into group, group company. You know, she's been a progressive filly. Forgive me for, for, for not having figures in front of me, but would this be a, a year where you've perhaps had more French runners than, or, or this weekend where you've got more French runners f- um, than normal for any particular reason? Um, trying to get there for the, just the races that came up and they have these three-year-old only fillies races, which are very attractive to me. And decent prize money on offer. Yeah, good prize money always is in France. Yeah, exactly. Um, good luck there this weekend. Does uh, is is Nord likely to to run in the Hungerford? Well, a little bit ground dependent, but we're thinking about, uh, about it. He he worked this morning. He worked very well. He's a very good travelling horse. You know, he, he's travelled a few times this year and uh, last year. And so, look, um, it'll just depend on what the ground goes to. It you know, the softer it is, the better for him. But he has run on some good ground this year and run some very good races. Yeah, how do you reflect on the the dip back into handicap company at Galway? Well, he just didn't get. He just didn't get the. You know, he was probably asking a bit of him, and he didn't. You know, it's always a very competitive race that. The 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 the, the Kinross run at um, at Haydock. I mean, that looks particularly good form now, doesn't it? That was very good form for him. Mm. You know, I didn't. You know, that was when he stepped into Group Two company. I think for the first time, and I was surprised how well he coped with it. As uh, this is his trip, is it seven furlongs ideal trip for him? Or, or... Seven furlong, I think, is his ideal trip because they go a good gallop. You know, he he's one over a mile and a quarter, he's one over a mile, he's one over seven furlongs. So, you know, he's pretty versatile. Well, I don't think she was giving too much away. To be fair, uh, she did talk about the the other horses she's sending there to to Deauville this weekend. But Alpine Star is the the main attraction. Uh, the the main thing that struck me, Lydia, was that he, she believes she's a stronger horse this year, and equally better ground than she had last year is probably going to be no bad thing but but if you were going to seriously consider her here you, you would have wanted her to win at York wouldn't you? I think so I mean again it's kind of deeds not words um I think 
as a as a racing fan and as a punter in particular, I, I always kind of prefer to go with deeds and not words. There was still some fight in her at York. I thought when she was beaten by Aristia, so it, it wasn't a kind of fold over, um, but it was significantly below what she'd achieved over a mile and 10 furlongs last season. Uh, her best performances, um, the, the runner-up in this race last year behind Palace Pier and the uh, utterly dominant performance in the Coronation Stakes uh, when um, more than four lengths ahead of sharing. And then some really good performances in between as well. The second in the uh, Prix de Diane um, and second also to Tanawa, who's come back roaring, and that was in the opera last year. So she's got a really consistently high level of form to her name. She likes a bit of cut in the ground, so um, she might get, she might well um, have have conditions ideally. She very much has to bounce back to that form of last season, where she was consistently very much a Group One filly. But that first time out performance, you know, that was significantly below, and she very much has got to bounce back from that. Can we save the last word then for for Palace Pier on this race, Lydia? Um, what's what was his best performance of the the season so far? Was it Newbury or Ascot? I think it was Newbury. Um, I think there are reasons why Ascot might not have been quite so impressive and maybe the race panned out ideally at Newbury and also start of the season are you encountering horses that aren't quite so much on their A game as he was because he had already been prepared in the Bet365 mile at Sandown and he'd been we'd been warned on that occasion that he wouldn't be at his absolute top because he would it was first time out and being prepared for the lockage. But he was very impressive then, and I think he was even a bit more impressive in the lockage. And obviously, since then, Lady Bothorp has come out and repeatedly franked the form. Um, she ran very well at Royal Ascot. Again, reasons conspiring for her to be beaten. Uh, she was unfortunate in the foul mistake; should have been closer. And obviously, she's won the Nassau. So, I mean, that form is strong. Um, and the Queen Anne was a little bit more workmanlike. However, he, you know, he was he was very very good when winning this race last year, and that would rank right up with what he did in the Lockinge. And John Gosden has consistently said, really, since the start of the year, that there's every chance he has been given a, a, a Kipco British Champion Stakes entry that that he will step up to ten at some point. Do you, you see him as a strong stare at the mile? Do you know? I haven't really considered that quite so much I haven't I mean there's definite there's definite promise in the breeding for it and you, you know you could you could you could see that happening quite quite readily and, and and I would love to see it happen but he's always kind of struck me as a bang miler um but nonetheless uh breeding wise and if uh John Gosden believes that he can step up to 10 furlongs then that's going to be interesting uh, talking of 10 furlongs or 10 and a half just to pick up on what Jim Bolger was saying about Max Swinney um, notice he also suggested he would be very happy to drop him back to a mile um, yes. having, <laughs> having tried him over the, uh, the, the mile two and the, the mile and a half he is set to run in the Javon International what a race that, that looks to be but a great shame that we're not going to have Pile Driver in there Lydia who it was announced yesterday by his co-trainer that uh, he, he has had a setback and, and he won't make the race Yes, William Muir um, saying that, and it's a real shame because it's the it's the same muscular problem that caused him to to miss the King George. So that means that the sort of middle to latter part of their plans for this season have gone up in smoke. Um, 
hopefully uh, they'll be able to recover something of the season towards the, towards the end of the year. And there is obviously always the option of keeping him training and trying to do a year later what they wanted to do this year. But it, it is a great shame. So, um, you know, there were lots of different horses heading towards the international. Uh, we were hoping Pile Driver, we were hoping Poetic Flair at one point. Uh, it'd be interesting to see who does actually turn up. Right to America and to breaking news late yesterday UK time that trainer Jorge Navarro has admitted intentionally giving or directing others to give illegal blood builders vaso and bronchodilators bleeder pills and SGF 1000 to his horses over a four year period to boost their performance in races and to avoid detection in pre and post race drug testing. Editor-in-chief at the Paulette Report is Natalie Voss and she joins me now to fill us in on this evolving situation. Um, Natalie, first of all, was this development expected in any way? Well, we were aware um, a couple of weeks ago that a change of plea hearing had been scheduled. So we were sort of aware for the past two weeks that he was going to be pleading guilty to something. Um, prior to that, however, Navarro and several other co-defendants had been part of a motion to dismiss the case. That motion to dismiss the case had been denied a few days before the scheduling order went in to change the plea. So I don't know if that was directly related or, or not, but there was a period of time where it seemed as though he was going to continue fighting um, against this as much as he could. And of course, that you know they've they've all continued, or most of the the original co-defendants have have continued to keep to their not guilty pleas for the past year and a half. So we were um, a little surprised, but not wholly surprised because there have been a few guilty pleas in the last couple of months. Does this does this change things for others that are that are implemented? Do you think when I mean he is the the most high profile plea changer so far? Do you do you see this being the first of a few, if you see what I mean? It could be. Um, they had begun to get to the point in this case where they were um, sort of dividing up groups of co-defendants, depending on which charges each of them were charged with. And they were grouping people based on who they believed worked together in various conspiracies and, and various sort of supply chains and, and, and cooperative groups. Um, so I would suspect, although I don't know, that the other people who were in Navarro's kind of group might be feeling like they don't have as, as good a shot as they might have before. Um, but the people who were in other groups, uh, including Jason Service, who was sort of uh, portrayed to be in kind of his own little cluster, uh, may or may not be affected as directly by this. Although Service was named by Navarro um, today as being somebody that he did uh, pass bronchodilators to. So um, it remains a little unclear who might be left more vulnerable by this and, and who may not worry about it. Is there a separation then between Service and Navarro? Or now Navarro has named Service, does that sort of bring him into almost his inner circle, if you like, and it, this implicates him further, right? Or, or, or does there still remain a little separation between the two of them? I think that there was probably some overlap. It sounds like they were both using SGF 1000 and it sounds like they may have both been using bronchodilators without the proper prescriptions. And there was a mention in, I think the original indictment of the intercepted phone call between Navarro and service discussing SGF 1000. 
but I'm not sure that they were necessarily, it does not seem to me that they were necessarily using the same veterinarians and exactly the same supply chains. Um, you know, Navarro also today stipulated to a number of different types of drugs that he was using as part of this conspiracy. And I believe that service has only ever specifically been accused of the bronchodilator and the SGF-1000. So I think that their programs were probably quite a bit different. Um, and so there, there is some overlap, I think, in, in what their programs may have included, but they certainly weren't identical. And I don't know that all of their supply chains were identical either. Now, uh, Navarro was asked about specific cases and the mo most high profile of, of which um, this, this well, listeners globally to this podcast will, will know about is XY Jet and in particular that Golden Shaheen win back in 2019. Um, he has admitted, Natalie, that he administered illegal drugs to the horse before that victory. Yes, he, he specified um, that he administered a blood building substance before both an optional, uh, an allowance optional claiming race that took place in mid-February as a prep, prep race for the Golden Shaheen, as well as the Golden Shaheen itself. Um, particularly unfortunate that the horse uh, in January of the following year died suddenly, um, which sort of, you know, puts an even more dreadful light on the whole thing. It really does, and, and stands in complete contrast with Navarro's reaction to winning the race, the, the emotion of winning the race, the story that, that came with it. You know, a lot of you know, TV companies at the time were running stories about what a, what a wonderful victory it was, what an emotional victory it was, the journey they'd been on together. And this stands in stark contrast with, with now how we know he got there. Right. And, and you know, likewise, at, at the time of the horse's death, he released a statement talking about how emotional he was about the loss of the horse and how valuable the horse was to him personally. He called the horse a member of his family. And, you know, you read those words now and it just, it is just absolutely sickening, frankly. Okay. So, so, um, likely sentencing and, and punishments off the back of this dealing with Navarro, first of all, um, you could be dealing with horse disqualifications in that four-year period, restitution payments to go somewhere, not, not exactly sure where or I'm not, and, of course, the possibility that Navarro himself may go to jail. What do you expect? Um, we'd sort of know what the ranges of, of possible penalties may be um, based on what was outlined by the judge today. Um, she was outlining those ranges based on a plea agreement that he had signed with the prosecutors, but made clear that she can ultimately assign him penalties beyond the range that he has agreed to in his plea agreement. So we will have to wait and see what she determines in December. But what she outlined today was um, somewhere between zero and five years in federal prison. Um, she did say that federal sentences require at least 85% of the sentence be served, um, which varies from you know, state sentences that you might get from a state court where you might serve part of it and then, you know, be let out fairly early for good behavior. It sounds like that would not be um, as drastic a possibility in, a, in the case of a federal sentence for him. Um, there's also a possible range of a fine between $40,000 and $400,000. Um, and he's on the hook for restitution payments. It's a little unclear to us um, who the restitution would be paid to. Um, they're the victims of his crimes, but it's not immediately clear if that would be, say, owners whose horses lost to his horses or 
racetracks or regulatory authorities or what, but the amount of restitution that they um, had stipulated to today was over $25 million. And that's based on the amount of purse money that was won by his horses during the period of years that he's admitted to being part of this conspiracy. Um, as far as final race results, like disqualifications of those horses, that would be a decision left up to the state racing commissions rather than the federal court. So we don't yet know if any action will be taken on that or not. Wow. How far down the road do you think we are with this case? Are we, are we, are we halfway? Are we shy of that? Are we nearing the end? Where are we? Um, you know, it's, it's complicated because there were so many defendants, um, co-defendants on this, this first round of indictments. Um, some of them, you know, might have made deals that there was a superseding indictment where they cut down the number of defendants. There were some people who were not carried over. We don't quite know yet what their status is. And then you have the remaining ones who've not pled guilty. I think that the timeline the judge has set out so far for the people currently under indictment would be looking at a trial um, later this year. Of course, the whole process has gotten pushed back many times because of the great volume of evidence in this case. Um, so I'm not at all confident that they would actually be doing pretrial motions later in the year. Or, or I tend to think that that would continue on into next year. And then the other thing too is that we've heard sort of all along that this is but the first wave of indictments. Um, that there might be additional people named and charged later that we don't know about yet. Of course, we've been hearing that since the beginning, and we're here 18 months later, and we haven't seen that happen yet. But we're also kind of wondering, you know, is this the whole thing, or is this just the first wave? And we really don't know. Well, no doubt you guys at the, the Portlet Report will keep us up to date. Thanks for the um, detailed uh, description of exactly what's going on currently. Natalie, much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Lydia, shocking stuff really from America. Uh, Jorge Navarro was uh, was seen to be guilty given that the evidence they had against him, but for him to come out and admit it in such plain terms to uh, all the charges against him is quite shocking. What, what do you think the implications here are globally for horse racing? Well, uh, over here, obviously, we've had the recent allegations being put forward by Jim Bolger about um, similar um, concerns about the probity of, of horse racing. And I think the, th the thing that horse racing needs to guard against is what uh, athletics and cycling has faced. And that's where you have fans, the public, looking at performances and not believing them or, or, or asking questions about that. I mean, you know, halfway through the Tour de France this year, um, Tadej Pogacar was um, facing questions about whether his performances were not normal to uh, quote Lance Armstrong you know halfway through the race even before he'd finished and won it for the second year, year running now he he clearly stressed um, vehemently that he is a, a clean rider and we have over the years have had um, issues with athletes at the Olympics and at other major championships you know we've, we've seen people you know banned this year we don't want to get into a situation where it, when a performance happens or when a horse puts in a, a good performance uh, that really um, surprises us or that we're thrilled by, that the next reaction isn't a cynical one. So racing globally needs to continue to do all it possibly can to ensure that racing is clean and is seen to be clean.
Right, we're a month away from National Racehorse Week. It's the 12th to the 19th of September. Loads of yards up and down the country are, are opening up. And you can go to nationalracehorseweek.uk to find a yard near you. And one of the yards that is opening up is that of Rebecca Menzies. And not just opening up, Rebecca. I mean, you, you've nigh on booked out already. It's been incredibly popular, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been um, it's been really well received. Um, it, we we opened it up to 150 to start with, and that quite quickly got subscribed. So we've upped the numbers to 250, and we'll just monitor it as it goes because we're going to be open most of the day. It starts at 10 o'clock, um, and there's, there's going to be little bits and bobs going on all day. So hopefully, people will be coming and, and staying for a while, and then and, and going, and then the next batch of people can come in. So it's something we're really looking forward to. That's a huge amount of it. So it was originally 100. And you've had such. Have you been surprised by the demand that you've had? Yeah, definitely. Especially, especially with uh, National Racehorse Week being in in its first year as well. Um, obviously, we thought that this year would be a bit of a trial, and then it might be something we can build on and make better for next year. But it just seemed really well received. Um, I know a lot of the other yards have uh, have filled up as well, and um, obviously, with it being across the whole country, it's giving everybody a really good opportunity to see what goes on behind the scenes in a, in a racing yard. So, just so to 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 paint the picture of where you are and. and and what it's like around there you're in stockton on tees right i've never had the, the pleasure of of visiting um i yeah. mean is is that is that quite a quite a a horsey area thoroughbred right wise quite a quite a, a high population of horses there there is i mean there's not a huge amount of, of racing yards close to us but um we've got lots and lots of tracks within kind of an hour an hour and a half drive from the yard so you've got a big a large number of people who have, have an interest in racing and we, we train for a lot of syndicates and um you know a lot of those syndicate members are local and national and, and having spoken to them i know that quite a lot of them are planning to go to to other yards as well um through the week so i think it's uh, it's, it's richard phillips has hit the nail on the head with his idea mm. it's it's an absolutely brilliant idea just to get people through the doors into these yards and and show people and show young people especially how accessible uh, a sport racing is for them you know um i think the more people we can get into these yards through national racehorse week the better and if we can inspire some uh, some young people and a new generation into the sport it's got to be got to be a brilliant thing what what sort of thing rebecca do you and, and the team want to showcase on the day um i mean lots of things like really i want to bang a drum about what a good job we're doing and I think that probably goes for, for every yard in the country. Um, I think people are surprised when they visit the yard to see how good the facilities are. Um, I mean we've got top class gallops, we've uh, an equine spa, solariums, vibrating floors, like we've got all the kit to to, to put that work in behind the scenes to get the horses to the races and I do think people are, are surprised when they visit the yard just to see how big a, a, an operation it is but for me like it's very important to show people the bond between the horse and the rider and the horse and, and who looks after after them and um, I think that's really what what we want to be showing it's vital we show the public that this you know love and bond is there behind the scenes and that's what makes into you know these great racehorses that they see on the track i think sometimes the personal touch can be lost a little bit at the races in a high pressure environment you know everyone's getting on with their job and it's all very professional but behind the scenes there's 
treats being given out there's carrot balls there's you know lots and lots of love and and cuddling going on behind the scenes and um, I think it's really important that we we show that to people yeah what I'm I'm really um, pleased to hear about the fact that you you want to up the numbers by an extra hundred in capacity is that we know that racing is the second biggest spectator sport in the UK but the fact that people don't just want to to go racing and and you know have a bet on a horse and have a good day out they want to go and see them at home I think just just shows the appeal and it and you know it's really pleasing to hear how popular it's been yeah definitely you know and it it is a sport that, that anybody can get involved in and i think it's really really important to get to get to, to get these people new people in through the door you know i had no horsey background and my parents are allergic to horses and somebody at a very young age to me inspired me to get into the sport and you know we've ended, i've ended up with a brilliant career out of it and there's no reason that other people can't do the same and you know i, I like to show people kind of how far our little stories come and again i think that's probably mirrored in uh, a number of, of the ads that will be opening up right into today lydia uh, you are i was gonna say heading to Salisbury. you're in salisbury and yeah. i'm sure looking forward to the the sovereign stakes today your tip does it come from that race no, it doesn't. I am very much looking forward to the Sovereign States. I'm looking forward to see what McGallan can do, dropping back down to a mile. He, you'll remember that he ran so well in the Dante against Hurricane Lane, that horse having gone on to much better things. And he's up against a host of some fairly consistent ho- older horses, the likes of Solid Stone, who's a, a bit improved this season. So that is the main event, the Group 3 over a mile. But my tip is in the very last race, over a mile and a half, obviously. Um, and I quite liked the run of Encourage last time. I thought he ran into a very good horse in Miramak Mitchie who is on a roll. The race, forerunner race, didn't really pan out as he wanted. I think he'd like uh, more of a test of stamina, a, a better run race. I do respect Zikani, who is, is the favourite, but I wonder ultimately whether he is a stronger strayer at this trip and whether this mile and a half at Salisbury is going to pan out to suit him. So I'm taking Encourage for Roger Charlton, uh, James Doyle and Her Majesty the Queen uh, to overturn Zikani in the last at Salisbury. Is this a three-year-old only mile and a half race? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Well, I haven't looked, but I'm, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Correct. They've saved the best till last at Salisbury. <laughs> um, they must have known you were going. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, either that or I've just, you know, uh, arranged the entirety of my life around three-year-old only long middle-distance handicaps. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, encourage for the last at Salisbury today. Have a lovely day, Lydia. Thanks very much. Thank you, uh, thanks to everyone at home for listening. Don't forget to rate, please review and subscribe. And I'll chat to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and thoroughbred racing commentary. Thank you.